Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brant. And this episode, we're talking about SST-37, the Black Flag instrumental 12-inch EP, the process of weeding out. I know uh, you, Brant, and myself were both fans of this record, so really looking forward to digging into this one. Yeah. So, Brant, do you have any spiels before uh, we start talking about the release? Uh, no. Do you? You have no spiels. No spiels. I'm spielless. Give, give me a break. You probably bought 20 records last week. Give me a spiel, quick. I did. I did buy some records, but nothing uh, Okay. Nothing so you're probably interested in. Name, name one record that you've listened to twice. One the record up- that I've listened to twice. Or at least at least twice out of your new stack. Uh that Mesthetics album for sure. Oh really? It's yep. getting repeated listens? Yep. Oh no kidding. Yep. Did you check out thirty one knots like I told you to? No, I didn't. I forgot oh. about that. I will though. I'll I'll check it out after this. Do they have a new album? Uh I don't know if they have a new album. I just discovered them and I really like them. A few of my favorite bands have new albums coming out. Like this is we so this is recorded like a couple weeks before it posts, uh, but The Damned have a, a brand new album out. Uh, Came out on Friday. Yeah, so I'm super pumped about that because they're one of my all-time favorite bands. Speaking of The Damned, you know what I was listening to today? What's that? I was listening to their double LP, It's Live. I'm not even sure it's official, though. It says it's www.officialdamned.com on the back, but The Fiendish Shadows double live LP. Yes, I have it from the like uh, Phantasmagoria era. Yeah, but those versions of the songs live are pretty good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm pretty excited about that. And another band that I'm a big fan of, the Manic Street uh, Preachers, they have a new album coming out too. And the okay. Melvins have a new album. There's lots of good stuff coming out that I'm excited about. Yeah. The state of music is very, very good these days. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I actually, I don't know, I don't know the story behind that band, 31 Knots, but I listened to it and I'm like, damn, you got to check them out. I was, I actually found them, maybe I'll give a bit of a spiel, I found them, found out about them on a website I was just mentioning to you called the Fecking Bahamas, which is like a history of math rock website, but it has just an insane list of stuff on there to check out, and um I stumbled across them and they have like 10 records out. So got to check them out. I've definitely heard the name before, but I had no idea what kind of music they were or anything about them. Yeah. I I mean, I guess they are in the very, very broad category called math rock. Um, They're not what I think of when I think of math rock. Plus they have vocals and I think they actually got a little bit, a little bit electronic, like a little tape loopy in their later years, but I've uh, been digging into their early stuff and really like it. Anyways, mm. there, see, told you we had some spiels in us. Yeah. Should we start the process of weeding out? Yeah, let's weed out. History lesson, part one. This is another cool Black Flag record. They just keep coming. Um, we were talking last week, I think it was the previous episode. Maybe it was the Loose Nut. No, it was the October Faction uh, episode where that one was, you know, not super high up on our list of favorites, shall we say? Yep. 
Um, but after talking about that one, we were really looking forward to getting into this one because it's it's a Black Flag record I got into way, way later on. In fact, I mean, I knew the image because it's a very famous image on T-shirts, I guess you could say. Yep, for, I, had, I had it. Yeah, yeah, for years and years, this image was very, very famous. But what you would kind of hear, I guess, at least I did when I was a kid, is like, yeah, you don't need to listen to that record. It's all instrumental. Yeah. And I kind of disregarded it for a long time. I mean, I'm in my 40s now, so there's a long time in there to disregard it. But I would say probably about 15, 17 years ago, maybe, I uh, I picked this up for the first time, and uh, it blew my mind. Yeah, it's not one I listen to a ton, probably mostly because it's an EP, but uh, I do like it. Should talk a little bit about what Black Flag was up to around this time. Yeah, definitely. Like 85, so I think on the Loose Nut one, we kind of ended up, the band was kind of, had just, Bill had just left the band, and... This, uh, they had a whole tour planned of the loose nut tour and it was kind of up in the air, but then it kind of got, I guess, rescued at the last minute when they got Anthony Martinez into the band for the rest of 85, they toured from, well, I found a journal entry May 14th, 85. This is get in the van where Henry says we're hit. I'm sitting at hit city West studios in LA. Greg and Chuck are in the next room mixing the Swa album, which is interesting because we're not going to be getting to that one for probably at least 10 releases or so. It just shows you how far they were backlogged at SST. And he's talking about Greg putting the mix on a cassette and uh, listening it to it on his Walkman with headphones on to kind of get hear what it sounds like, you know, on that format. Uh, Rollins is talking about how Loose Nut just came out and he's excited to tour on it. And they they did. They toured pretty hard from May till September. Uh, they played 83 shows, I counted. So if anybody doesn't have Get In The Van, in the, in the back of it, it's got all their tour dates listed. And I counted 83 dates that year, not including the stuff we've already talked about where they were earlier in the year when they were just kind of uh, recording and hanging around LA, they were, they were actually playing a lot of these songs as, uh, instrumental sets. Uh, I was surprised to see how many of the shows they played on this, uh, 85 tour, they did two sets for a lot of shows. And that would have been, you know, double for, for Greg because, uh, Tom Tricoli's dog was on a lot of these dates and he was in that band as well. So when they would play two sets, was it like, am I right? It was an instro set would be set one. Uh, or did they mix it up? Well, I'm just going off of Henry's list of all the dates in the back, in the back. And he just, he just notes two sets. So I don't know if oh, okay. there may have been like an afternoon show and then an evening show, maybe. Right. I, I don't know. I guess the reason I thought of that is, is because of the, the live 84 release that we went through where they start the set, I guess, with the process of weeding out. But if that's two separate sets, it's hard. And they were separated throughout, you know, during the day. They were probably, probably, I don't know, I guess, sets with Henry. But maybe they would start out with some instrumental songs. Yeah, I'm sure they did. They played all through the U.S. and Canada. And I think I've mentioned this before, but right after the tour in September, when they got off the road, 
uh, Rollins rented the Black Flag van off of Black Flag and went straight back out uh, for a speaking tour that Dukowski booked for him. And every time I read, of course, as we've mentioned before, we're Canadian. And every time I read Henry Rollins' journal entries when he's in Canada, it sounds like the whole band just hated it up here. And I I just think of that Nardwar interview where uh, the first one he does with Henry before before Nardwar was like a known guy. Also before, before Henry lost a bit of the chip on his shoulder, frankly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cause back then, and he was still, he was still fronting pretty hard when he was with Rollins band, when Nardwar interviewed him for the first time. Yeah. So, uh, but Nardwar asks him like about, <laughs> you know, why, why do you hate Canada so much? I can't remember, but much about it, but I just, I always think of that. So that's kind of what Black Flag was up to. Kira's going to be out after the 85 tour. She kind of, I think, knew going into it. The timeline's not too clear, but at some point she, like she had made it clear to them that she was taking these classes at UCLA that they had agreed when she joined the band to kind of tour around her, her school schedule. And she noticed that the tour itinerary after they got back from the 85 tour that they had a tour booked when she was, they knew she was supposed to be in school. So that's kind of how she knew she was out of the band. It didn't yeah. get cur- confirmed until they got back, you know, about a week or so after they got back from, from that tour, uh, in 85, she called SST and Chuck fired her. He's, <laughs> ki- he's kind of complained about having to be Greg Ginn's ax man and, also said he he disagreed with with Kira leaving the band, but there was tons of tension. Like the band is, you can just see the end is nigh for Black Flag. <laughs> well, this is, uh, I mean, after this record, what is there? There's in my head. Who's got the ten and a half and a couple of straggler EPs, and we're done, right? Yeah, and all that stuff's already recorded. Who's got the ten and a half is going to get recorded on this tour that I'm mentioning, uh, and everything else is already recorded. Yeah, they are done. Yeah. So that's kind of what's up with Black Flag. I think St. Vitus was out with them on some of that tour. I haven't really dug around too much, but lots of the journal entries mention St. Vitus and Scott was still in the band at that point too on vocals. So. Yeah. Yeah, I did find one cool journal entry I was going to mention. Just let me find it here. Oh yeah, it's Henry. This is after the tour, and it's in the shed. And he's talking about Greg Ginn. He says, uh, I was thinking of Greg Ginn tonight. These days I call him the washing machine man. Every morning Greg gets up and enters the washing machine. All day long he's agitated and spun around. At the end of the day he is up against the wall, wrinkled, wrung, and damp. There's a lot of pressure right now. Black Flag has no bass player. We have been evicted from our office and practice place. We have about six days to get out. This shit sits neatly on Greg's shoulders. He is put through the machine every day. He's a bit wrinkled, but he's clean, and I respect and admire him. I don't think he'll ever know how much. I like that. It's interesting. When you read the journal, like I've read it, I think, twice, probably total. Yep. Once when I first got the book a long time ago and just devoured it. I would have been like late teenager when yeah. I got it. 
Um, and then, and then over the years, kind of off and on, it's very rare for Henry to say something, you know, kind of positive in that book. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm about the same. I've read it twice and I, I do have the audio book on CD, which I've listened to at least once as well, but I don't think it's, I'd have to dig it out and find it, but I think it might be abridged. I'm not sure. Yeah. It's funny. Um, what was the, what was the book that you mentioned where he did the Rollins reunion tour? I can't recall it right now, but, um, I actually tracked it down at a used bookstore and read it a couple of weeks ago. A dull roar. A dull roar. That's right. Even that one, uh, Henry is just so sour when he writes, Hey, well, (laughs) I, I think he was not feeling the, the reunion right from the word go is the impression I got. He, yeah, he's. I think he's I, said like either uh, I haven't read that book since it came out, but he either says it in there or he said it afterwards. Like he knew immediately that it was a mistake. Yeah, I didn't. I don't recall reading that part. Um, but you know, that's that other book, Broken Summers. He's not nearly as negative in it. Yeah. Well, I kind of think maybe there was still some uh, some tension with with some members, maybe. Oh yeah, for sure there was. Yeah. I and mean, I mean, yeah. and he talks about Andrew Weiss and I know that Andrew wasn't, was long gone from the band and he wasn't part of that. It was Melvin. But in that other book I mentioned, uh, Unwelcome Songs, the collected lyrics, I think. Yep. I think I mentioned he kind of, it's not just lyrics. He writes little blurbs about stuff. And I remember him writing in there like, I never want to play in a band with Andrew Weiss ever again. He, in, in that book, he, uh, he basically, like when he's talking about Melvin, he does talk about him positively in the sense that it's not the other guy. Yeah. Right. So both awesome bass players. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Have you ever checked out any of Melvin's non Rollins stuff? Yeah. Fair amount of it. Yeah. He's, He's, uh, he's, he's played on a zillion albums. Yeah, he's a heavy, heavy player, man. Yep. He um, had a band that put an album out last year. What were they called? I can't remember, really? but it was good. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, uh, let's talk about the process of weeding out the album. Yeah, let's get to it. History Lesson, Part 2. Hey, Ryan, so I want to talk about kind of some of the, the names you hear mentioned when when we're talking about maybe influences and some of this okay. is confirmed stuff that like was played in the van and stuff for sure like you always hear Mahavishnu orchestra like uh and the Grateful Dead too I know like this this album does not sound like the Grateful Dead but they you know the the jamming aspect for sure is like the Grateful Dead are the ultimate jam band for sure and there's no doubt that Greg Ginn was a fan but you hear a lot about a lot of the uh, the jazz fusion guitarists. Like uh, one you hear a lot about is James Blood Almer. Do you, do you listen to him at all? Yeah, I've got some of his later stuff with... Uh, uh, I don't have his early stuff. I have some of his later stuff that I think Vernon Reed from Living Color produced, actually. Yeah, so he played with a lot of people. Uh, Joe Henderson, Art Blakey, 
uh, Ornette Coleman, who was definitely an influence on Black Flag in general, they, I remember hearing about them playing uh, Ornette Coleman over the PA, like before they went on and stuff like that. Yep. And Ornette Coleman was kind of like, I, you know, I don't know tons about the history of free jazz, but I know he was definitely uh, in the mix as far as like, you know, one of the the main guys. He yeah. was uh, definitely, well, I mean, his main album, I guess, is called Free Jazz, the Double Quartet. And he was kind of shunned, I guess. Like, people didn't think he could, he was real. Like, he didn't think he could play. He was just so far out there. And then they realized, no, no, the guy can play. Yeah, and, and that's uh, the, probably before Miles Davis went electric, too. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, a, another, a famous uh, Ornette Coleman album that I really like is called The Shape of Jazz to Come. Yeah, that one's that one's pretty pretty standard compared to the free jazz. And yeah, the later. it's pretty tame. But it's still, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not bebop, that's for sure. No, no. So Mahavishnu Orchestra, that's John McLaughlin, is that right? Yep. Yeah. So, so I'm just, I'm throwing out some album titles in case people aren't, aware of this and they want to uh check out more and uh, oh, i should also mention ryan uh, a couple weeks back we we started a spotify account and we're going to be posting so my original idea was to rep uh, just post the ballot result stuff but a lot of that isn't on there so we're just going to be posting a bunch of the stuff we talk about uh on the pod and if people are interested in checking out the mahavishnu orchestra uh, their their first two albums are their most famous and their best, in my opinion. Inter Inner Mounting Flame and Birds of Fire. And another one I really like that came out way, way later, like within the last 10 years, I would say, is called The Lost Trident Sessions, which is uh, from that same kind of lineup. Yeah, I definitely uh, like those first two for sure. John yeah. McLaughlin has got some some later stuff that's, I guess you know, under the John McLaughlin name, um, yeah. but that he has a lot of the same players and a couple of those records are really good too. I can't remember what their names are. Yeah. He's got a, really he's like, got one with Carlos Santana that I really like. Yeah. Oh, I think that that is one of the ones that I like. I was think I was trying to think what are the ones that I don't really like it. Shock T is that one? Yeah. I think, I think I checked out that stuff. It was a bit sleepy for me. Yeah. A lot of the production's just terrible. Hey, yeah. What about, did they listen to Larry Coriel or anything like that? Uh, well, probably. I mean, Gin's a big jazz guy. Like, we're going to start seeing pretty soon some pretty insane uh, jazzier guitarists on the label, like Elliot Sharp, Glenn Phillips, Henry Kaiser, released a ton of stuff on SST. Fred oh, yeah. Frith, who's more of an experimental guy, and then later on, bands like Hotel X and, and stuff like that. And even Greg Ginn himself, uh, started playing more jazzier stuff. Yeah, I don't know, uh, you know, who all they were actually listening to. Uh, you hear a lot about, obviously, like, the Miles Davis stuff with Pete Cozy. So John McLaughlin, who we were just talking about from Mahavishnu Orchestra, he kind of, before he formed that band, he was in Miles Davis's band and yep. and played on probably his, his most famous albums, like uh, Bitches Brew and... Live Evil. I think he played on Live Evil. 
And then, his most famous, well, those would be Miles's most famous like fusion electric albums. Yeah, I think he played on Kind of Blue too, which is probably his most famous album, though. Wouldn't you say? I would say Kind of Blue is for sure. Yeah. yeah, not like I'm some sort of jazz authority, but it's in the top five of all time for sure. I bet. Yeah, a, a guitar player that I really liked that ended up playing with Miles Davis is a guy named Pete Cozy. And he played on kind of the tail end of the electric period on like uh, the lot those live albums he did, yeah, like Agarta and Pang- Pangea, and uh, he he ended up playing with Melvin Gibbs too, at some point, in a jazz trio called Power Tools. I've never heard of that one. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't think John McLaughlin was around at the kind of blue sessions though. Yeah, I think that that. Uh, he would have come on a lot a lot later. Maybe his first session with Miles or around the same time was the Bitches Brew days. Yeah. That stuff, though, the electric Miles, I don't know if you've been to a Melvin's show in the last few years, but um, that's that's what they play before. That, that's the warm-up music oh, for Melvin's. Yeah, they play electric Miles before the Melvin's come on every single time I've seen them in the last five years or so. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And Buzz is always wearing a Miles shirt. Oh, cool. Yeah, and another guy that you hear about all the time that I guarantee you Greg Ginn was influenced by is Sonny Chirac, who's kind of was the first guy to try and play like John Coltrane, but on guitar. And I mean, John Coltrane's a guy like, you know, if you ever listen to Mike Watt's podcast, The Watt from Pedro Show, he's playing John Coltrane for sure, every show. And tons of great jazz, actually, and Sonny played with like tons of feedback and kind of, I'm pretty sure he played on a uh, tribute to Jack Johnson too, the Miles Davis album. Yeah. But I, right before we went on, I just pulled a whole big stack of fusion albums off my shelf just so I could throw some out there that I like. Lay them on us. Return to Forever. Oh yeah. Chick Korea. Yep. Got a bunch of those. There's line and, Stan, and uh, uh, Stanley Clark yep. on bass. Big influence on Watt for sure. I love Stanley Clark. Billy Cobham, who was also in oh, yeah. Miles's band. Uh, I'm yep. Looking at an album here called Total Eclipse, but I also have one somewhere called uh, Ecl- uh, oh, what's it called? Let's see if it's in here. Spectrum. And Spectrum the, is good. The guitar player on that is. Uh, or was uh, Tommy Bolin, who went on to be in Deep Purple uh, for one yeah. album, Come Taste the Band. He's a ripping guitar player. Tony Williams, Bill- Lifetime. Oh, yeah, Tony Williams. Well, he was in Return to the Forever as well, right? Yep. Jean-Luc so Ponty, Al Demiola. Oh, you know I like my Jean-Luc, especially with Zappa. You know who else? I, I can't help but mention, since you mentioned uh, Jean-Luc. What's up? George Duke. Oh, yeah. I gotta pump up my uh, my Zappa fusion guys. Yeah, well, Frank George. Zappa did fusion albums. Lots of people were doing them. Jeff Beck did some that are really good. It was kind of a thing for a while. Yeah, the the problem though with the fusion guys that came out in the seventies, once you get to like the late seventies, they start sounding disco-y. Yeah, and then and then once you get into the eighties. You're gonna to want to return those back to the record store. Some of them, for sure. That's I often lament the fact that uh, I mean, 
it goes without saying that we lost uh, Jimi Hendrix too too soon, but I think he would have for sure done a jazz fusion album. Of course, he recorded with Miles. Yeah, that's really too bad that that we'll never get to hear that. But anyways, just wanted to kind of throw out some of that stuff that you hear talked about that uh, Gin was influenced by. Yeah, if, for if anybody sure. Anybody wants to check that out. Yeah, that's, that's um, those are some really solid recommends. I plowed through that stuff um, again, like kind of in in my thirties, I guess, and it's really a lot of really rewarding records there. Uh, repeat listens for sure. Totally. Now I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna test you real quick before we get into like the songs and stuff, but there is okay. This is this is a little bit out there, but on the back cover of this record yep. there's a reference not to a fusion band but kind of an r&b poet did you catch that one is it in gin's write-up yeah i'm looking at it right now an r&b poet yeah if you get past the first sentence you missed it oh sly stone where the revolution will probably be televised Oh man, that's Gil Scott Heron. Is it? Oh yeah. Yeah. Gil Scott Heron. But you know, often confused with Sly Stone. Yeah. So a fair uh, a fair mistake. Well let's talk about the album cover. I wanna talk the, I wanna talk say one more thing about a jazz band. Because it's kind of okay. relevant. I, I guess I shouldn't say they're a jazz band because I don't I don't know anything about them, but uh, there's a band called the Grand Astoria from St. Petersburg, Russia, and they did a cover of the entire album in 2014 in honor of Greg Ginn's 60th birthday. You can find it on yeah. Band, you can find it on Bandcamp. And it sounds I great. Read that. I read that too. I haven't listened to it. It's good? Yeah, it's good. Check it out. It's really? on Bandcamp. Yep, The Grand Astoria. We'll post it. I'll definitely check that out. Right on. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk about the cover? Yeah. So, like we said, it's a very famous image, but it's worth it's worth kind of exploring a bit. It's it's the black flag, the bars, but then a very famous pettibone image of it looks like the devil looking through a microscope, but then above his head, it looks like the moon, but it might also be the image of what he's looking at on the slide in the microscope, and it looks like sperm. That, I guess I, I just I never assumed that it was the moon. I just assumed it was what he was the slide. Seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it. I mean, it looks like the moon to me, but it's obviously the slide. I think the its placement yeah. is kind of like the moon up there. Okay. Um, now there are. We should also talk about though, since we're on that image and the slide. The process of weeding out. The at least the double entendre, maybe the triple entendre in that wording. Obviously, um, there was a lot of weed being smoked around this time in the band, or at least with with Greg. Yeah, on the roadies for sure. Yeah, and so that's the first weed of weeding out. The other one, I I would only assume, is the devil weeding out certain sperm on the slide. I guess. Yep. I don't know if I don't know if you ever made that connection. No, but it's. It's a good point. It's possible. The other third one, 
I thought of. So maybe it's a triple entendre and I'm just making this stuff up. But I've always wondered, because you know how I got into this record late, I think a lot of people get into this late. Um, I don't think there's a lot of hardcore punkers in their early teenage years that just like fall in love with the process of weeding out. And Greg was really trying to challenge the listeners. The process of weeding out, do you think it was trying to weed out the listeners, the fans, the true fans. Yeah, I th think they've pretty well said that that was their intention when they named it was to make a joke about weeding out, you know, the knuckleheads. Yeah, I have to say, um, I love the way the word "black flag" is written on this cover. You can tell that it's cut and paste. I used, I've made a zillion cut and paint paste posters in my in my day, you can see that the A on the word flag goes over top of the G in a way that is just a telltale. Yeah, it almost looks like, too, that the word, the words black and flag, yep. like the, the C dips down a bit too far, right? And it's a, it's not, doesn't look 100% even. I love the way they did it, though, like with, with it clear instead of like, bolt, like, all white it looks great i have to say i've never been a fan of the bars like this though mushed together like that yeah it works in the album cover for me yeah it's okay on the album cover but it's not how i would draw that's not i would never draw the bars like that on my notebook <laughs> <laughs> well i know i know of course not now does yours have but... a does yours have a sticker underneath the bars a sticker yeah no Definitely not. I'm pretty sure mine is a really late repress. Mine has a sticker. What does it say? Instrumental. Does it? Does is yours just have that printed on the cover? Mine doesn't say that at all. Okay, my sticker says instrumental six ninety eight list, which is. I was thinking about that. It wasn't that long ago we were talking about pagan icons, and that was like three bucks. Yeah, like three ninety eight or something. Yeah, this is a four song EP, and it's. The price has skyrocketed to seven dollars. Yeah, it reminds me of that uh, that Tom Petty documentary. You remember that? Uh, yeah, I don't know so what part you're talking about, but well, they were gonna they were gonna raise the price of records on the back of the mm. new Tom record. Yeah, and he and fought it or whatever. He pushed back. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not I'm not sure that Black Flag could charge the same amount as uh, Tom Petty in the record store, though. Yeah, are we done on the front cover? Yeah, man. Now, mine has a sticker on the back cover, too. Wow, what edition do you have? I think it's an original. Mine's got a... It's it. I would say it definitely is because the catalog that comes inside of it... Well, we'll get to it in a minute, but it kind of gives it away. Can I ask you, though, before you go into that, then? Yep. You know how in, like, UK records, European presses, the jacket, the cardboard is really thin and shiny... Yep. And then, you know, early, a lot of indie stuff in, uh, especially the, the early 80s and stuff, the jackets are really heavy cardboard. My copy is really thin. It's all, it's probably like the cheapest North American grade of cardboard you could get. So if yours is original, your cardboard's probably thick and gray on the inside. It's white on the inside, but it's pretty thick, I'd say. Yeah. Okay. Is yours 
tip on. Do you know what tip on jackets are? No. I have no idea. No. Yeah. People try and jack up prices on records for tip on sleeves now, right? Pretentious assholes. Hey, uh, hey, so back cover. My sticker starts right under drums, Bill Stevenson, and goes all the way down to special thanks to Cliff Samuels for everything. So does your sleeve have, what does yours have between there? It says produced by Greg Ginn, Bill Stevenson, and Dave Tarling. Right. It says engineered, engineered by Dave Tarling. Yeah, mine, mine has all of that, but on a sticker. Yours is printed right on the jacket. Yeah, and then it says recorded at Total Access, mixed at Hit City West. Yeah, and then just beside that is the Greg Ginn write-up. Yeah, see, mine has all of that, but on a sticker. So I wonder if the original press of this didn't have any of that on the sleeve. So they put a sticker oh, yeah. on it. Or it was a mistake. Maybe they had a typo. Maybe. Maybe they gave, they gave the photo credits to Glennie Friedman by mistake <laughs> on that one. Could be. <laughs> Dave Tarling we talked about, so he recorded Loose Nut. This was recorded at the same sessions in March as Loose Nut. Loose Nut. And it was released in September of 85. So right when they got off the road, basically. Yeah. Does yours give credit to Raymond Pettibone twice on the back? Yes. Yeah, mine does too, which is weird. I never noticed that. Yeah. Uh, do you want to say anything about this write-up Greg Ginn has? He's kind of referencing, I would say, like the PMRC maybe? Yeah, maybe. I don't know how much, how many... I don't know. Do you think the PMRC was getting headlines by now? Maybe not. I feel like that was, well, maybe 85, 86. Seems like that's maybe a little early, but I mean, you've got Wasp (laughs) starting to release stuff by this point. They hated Wasp. So I'm just trying to think what year was uh, Frankenchrist released? Yeah, I'm not sure. Probably around this time. Yeah, I want to say it was. 84 or something like that too let me look uh october 185 it came out so it makes sense yeah so he's talking about um stores refusing to stock black flag stuff because of uh questionable or objectionable cover art and or lyrical that's got to be slip it in right yeah for sure he's talking about straight pigs (laughs) it's uh yeah cop types cop types the so i mentioned mine has an insert and it goes up to flip your wig as far as flip your wig so a little ways from where we are but it says where did i read it on here flip your wig came out in october of 85 so they just like they released like 20 records in 85 maybe even more yeah but where did i see it on here i've never seen this catalog in any other i've never seen it before let me see it. Just a second. I got to find this one thing that I saw that kind of gave it away. Where did I see it? After, it says, after October 1st, 1985, this catalog is expired. Right for new catalog before ordering. You know, this album came out in September. This catalog apparently expires in October of 85. And we've got listed on here, well, Overkill. Meat Puppets Up on the Sun, Worm Feast, St. Vitus the Walking Dead, Meat Puppets in a Car, Black Flag in My Head, Saccharine Trust, World Broken, Tom Tricoli's Dog, uh, Husker Doom Makes No Sense at All, St. Vitus Howl's Victim, Swa, Your Future If You Have One, Angst, Life Light, and 
or light life and flip your wig. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Let me see that. Hold it up. I know you're going to post it, but I want to see that one. Oh, yeah. I don't think I've seen one like it's, that. Uh, there's lots of Henry Rollins books on it. He's got three books for sale. Is, he, is 20 on there? 20. Another book called 21361. And another one called End to End. There's tons of shirts. DC3, SWA, stickers. I saw a totally trashed version of, a copy of 20 on eBay like a, a week or so ago. Oh, yeah? Went for like 300 bucks US. Crazy. It's got non-SST stuff like the uh, Minutemen Politics of Time, Bean Spill, Tour Spiel, uh, Husker Du Land Speed Record, the Nig Heist LP, and then on the back it's all Pettibone. It's the Pettibone Ghetto. It's got uh, more uh, selfishness with Michael Jira from Swans. What did I see on here that I liked? For short like Pettibone, short Pettibone in terms of artwork that you could buy and zines i guess uh, oh yeah short teats bloody milk yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh and you can get uh the live in 84 vhs for black flag and uh the tour which i don't think we've talked about yet oh like the oh that's that has um like husker do minute men saccharine trust is that the one uh, Husker Du, Minutemen, Meat Puppets, Saccharine Trust, and Swa. You can see the whole thing on YouTube, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. 80 minutes, $28 for a VHS of the tour. That's expensive back then. Yeah, Live live in 84 is also $28. Wow, on VHS. Yeah. Those were never... Those have never been released on DVD, no, I don't never. think, right? Well, Live in 84 maybe has, but I don't bootleg. think... Bootleg. Yeah, it's bootleg, yeah. Bootleg for sure. And no run out grooves. Not on mine anyways. Yeah, not on mine either. Yeah. Uh, I did see song credit somewhere, but not on my record. I'm pretty sure Southern Rise, maybe, I saw credited to Bill Gets a Co-Write. But it doesn't say that anywhere on my record. Might have saw that on Discogs or something. Yeah, mine does not have credits either. We should talk about the songs, though. Yeah, let's do that. So the first song, Your Last Affront, is, uh, I don't know, for me, I really like uh, Bill and Kira. They're pretty relentless on it, and they go nuts. And it's one of my favorite moments when Greg just screams into this song. Yeah. Love that. Screw the Law, for me, kind of sounds more like they were just jamming it in the studio. It's like the least structured song. Yep. Process of weeding out, they'd already been playing live for quite some time, I think. So So I I realized this for maybe the first time ever on the process of weeding out. I hope I'm remembering this right. I'm just looking at my notes. But there there are some some chord cording moments that kind of sound like rat's eyes, right? That's a great game chord for sure. Yeah. yeah, he's playing like the the block chord, uh, the dissonant. It's like a minor it's chord, a, though. Uh, I would call it probably a seventh. Yeah. And um, it has like almost the same tempo 
of that chord when it's being played in rat's eyes. And I never made that connection before, but I mean, I, I've listened, I haven't listened to this for a long time, actually, probably several years, but then I listened to it like once a night this week. Yeah. Same. Uh, Southern rise, the last song. I don't have much to say about the tracks, to be honest with you. Well, I'm really interested to hear that, that band that covered it that you mentioned, what was their name again? Grand Astoria. Yeah, I want to check that out. That's, I did. Uh, I did make a note that this was also pressed on ten inch in nineteen ninety one. I think they did a fair amount of that. SST. Oh, oh, stuff on ten inches. Yeah. Oh God, yeah, they did that in the three inches and colored vinyl and stuff. Way, way before that was kind of a trendy thing for sure. I'm ready to do the ballot result, man. Let's do it. I've I feel completely weeded out. Ballot result. Lay it on me. If it was up to me, I would go with your last affront, but you're the ginhead, so go for it. I don't have like super strong feelings. I was going to say the process of weeding out, but I'm I'm cool with your last affront. Really? I win? You win. Aha! What's next week, oh, Ryan? Well, that's only because, well, no, I was going to say because you're going to screw me the next episode, but no, the next episode is all you, man. It is, uh, it's SST 38, Overkill, Triumph of the Will. We ran into these guys a long time ago. I can't remember, like around episode eight or something like that. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a different band almost at this stage, different sounds. So I'm actually looking forward to checking it out. It's not really my thing, but looking forward to it. We have a special guest too, Felice Lacoco, who was on the album. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Great interview with Felice. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. 